On today's episode of Post Game Antics, we have Darian Gray, host of the podcast Point Blank Period. Darian is a big Saints fan, covers the Saints, so we're going to talk a little about Drew Brees' looming retirement, his heir, the salary cap challenges we face this offseason, Michael Thomas, and we're also going to rank some painful Saints memories. But before we get into that, we'll talk some news, including the Mariners president, who hilariously ruined his career, while also outlining everything that's wrong with the game of baseball. Then we'll briefly talk about Tiger Woods, and then we'll wrap up with the NBA All-Star Game rosters. Hope you guys are all having a fantastic day. Thanks for joining me, and without any further ado, let's jump into it. I want to start by briefly talking about what happened on Tuesday morning. Tiger Woods was severely injured in a solo car accident at around 7 a.m. Now, as of the time I'm recording this, the facts are still coming in. So I'm trying to make a point as to not speculate on anything that happened. Here's what I do know. He was on his way to play golf and do a photo shoot with Drew Brees and Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert. There is so far no evidence that he was impaired while driving. So for everyone who immediately assumed this and decided to take to Twitter and slander him, you can kindly go fuck yourself. Now, I'm trying to not swear on this podcast, but I feel strongly about that. Now, as far as his injuries, I'm just going to quote the statement his camp released. And this is actually from uh, Anish Mahajan, MD, who's the chief medical officer and interim CEO at Harbor UCLA Medical Center, where Tiger Woods was admitted. He says, Mr. Woods suffered significant orthopedic injuries to his right lower extremity that were treated during emergency surgery by orthopedic trauma specialists at Harbor UCLA Medical Center, a level one trauma center. Comminuted open fractures affecting both the upper and lower portions of the tibia and fibula bones, those are in the leg, were stabilized by inserting a rod into the tibia. Additional injuries to the bones of the foot and ankle were stabilized with a combination of screws and pins. Trauma to the muscle and soft tissue of the leg required surgical release of the covering of the muscles to relieve pressure due to swelling. Now, he's currently awake and responsive and recovering in the hospital room. Um, so thank you to all the doctors that, uh, that did treat him. Um, now, when I first heard the news, I was terrified. I mean, it's been just over a year since the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant. Um, and when I saw the initial story, coupled with that picture of his car or the car he was driving, it made me fear for the worst. And now, I mean, selfishly or not, I find myself hoping that I just see Tiger play golf again. I know that's far from our top priority, but... That's what I'm feeling. And uh, I mean, from what the first responders were saying, it's very fortunate that we're hoping for a speedy recovery. I mean, as opposed to sending out condolences to his family. So, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Uh, I, I want to send my best wishes to Tiger and his family. Not that he cares what I think, but I, I really do. I mean, Tiger has been so great to the game of golf. He is the goat of golf. I don't think we're ever going to see someone who has meant as much to the game of golf or any sport that, I mean, we've seen Tiger. So uh, here's to hoping we see him golf again. And I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, again, all the facts are still coming in. So 
please be on the lookout and, and keep Tiger in your thoughts. And uh, let's jump into something a little, a little more positive. Well, not for the guy, not for Kevin Mather, but a little more positive. So Kevin Mather, former president of the Seattle Mariners, I don't know if you guys have heard the story, but let me just briefly summarize the asinine comments made by Kevin Mather. Now, I want to preface it by saying none of what he said comes as a surprise to those that follow the game of baseball. Um, it's more of a surprise that he actually said them out loud. Um, so he was on a Zoom call with uh, the Seattle Mariners Rotary Club, if I am correct in that. Hope I am. But basically, he was talking about a lot of, of the financial aspects of baseball. Uh, he mentioned that because their payroll is so low, they actually didn't get hit as hard by, uh, by the pandemic as a lot of other teams did. They also mentioned that they have a very lucrative TV deal that he, uh, he even went as far as to say that it, uh, they were probably getting overpaid for that. Uh, so, I mean, there goes the next TV deal. They're probably going to get a lot less. I mean, that is the grade A, just like best negotiating tactic that the TV companies can use. So, I mean, that's, that's fascinating that he would even be willing to say that. Um, and then he went and talked about some players. Now, the first one I want to address is what he said about Kyle Seeger. So Kyle Seeger is the third baseman for the Mariners. He has been for quite a while. Um, he's had ups and downs. He is no longer an elite third baseman. If he ever was, he was in the upper echelon, but probably not in the elite tier. Um, he called Kyle Seeger overpaid and then went and said that he probably will not be back with the organization next year. Um, okay. I don't know why you would say that to the Rotary Club or why you would even say that at all. I feel like that was unnecessary and you should handle those dealings in-house. Whether you think he's overpaid or not is subjective and not really for you to tell people that aren't involved in the organization, especially in a video that's going to get leaked to the public. Um, and also, I mean, if I was Kyle Seeger, why played this year for the Mariners? If you, they think you're overpaid already and you're not going to be back, all right, cool. You've just given your entire career to an organization that is done with you. I mean, I'd be pretty pissed, especially since the video got released to the public. Um, now, the second thing is he was talking about a lot of minor leaguers. And one thing, if you don't know, in baseball, um, minor leaguers are, are, are essentially owned by the organization, meaning they cannot become a free agent until they've had six eligible years in the big leagues. So a lot of what the organization, a lot of what organizations do is they keep players down as long as possible, even if they're ready to come up to the big leagues so they don't start that clock of six years um, for when they become a free agent. Now, if I'm getting any of this wrong, I'm sure I'll be corrected, but this is essentially the situation. So he was talking about a lot of young prospects that Mariners fans are probably really excited to see because their team is frankly not that exciting right now. Um, and he's talking about when they're going to arrive and about how he is specifically saying that they're keeping them down so they don't start the clock on when they can become a free agent. Now, everybody knows that they do this, but executives in baseball have been, I mean, there have been so many suits filed against them about this very topic, and they can usually point to something specific in a player 
in their performance as to why they're keeping them down as a, and just kind of deflect away from uh, from the fact that they just don't want to pay them or they don't want to lose them. Uh, but with these statements, he is essentially forfeiting that defense. Um, I'm, I'm going to insert a little bit of the clip at the end of this, just so you, uh, just so you guys hear just what an, what, what an idiot this guy was. He was talking about several of their key prospects. And then, I mean, the players association was probably like licking their chops listening to this. It's like amazing. We can use this next time we have to file suit. But the worst, the absolute worst part of this, and there was a lot of bad things, was that Kevin Mather decided to talk about uh, Hisashi Iwakuma, who is a former pitcher for the, uh, uh, for the Mariners. He, in his entire time with the Mariners, he needed a translator because he didn't speak English because guess what? He wasn't from America or an English-speaking country. It's not his first language. So, yeah, he needed a translator. That's fairly common. Now, Kevin Mather decided to tell him Iokuma wanted to come back to the Mariners to be on the scout department or coaching staff. I don't remember what it was. But decided to tell him, it's like, look, I'm not going to pay your translator. And apparently, these are Kevin Mather's words, not mine, uh, Iwakuma's English got very better after he heard, very, far better after he heard that. Like, okay. He was talking about a few other players, about how they cannot speak English and it's a problem. And, you know, he was just really pinpointing that. And it's like, look, man, baseball is a worldwide game. They play it all over the world. Japan, uh, Latin America, they play it everywhere. Why? Why, why, why are you even bringing up the, the English-speaking capabilities of these players? He was talking about another guy. I forgot his name. I think it, it was one of their minor leaguers. Uh, he was talking, like, literally in describing the player. Oh, he's good in this, good in this. Uh, can't speak English. Dude, can you not understand the optics of an old white guy executive of in baseball? And these guys have already been portrayed as, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not as racially sensitive as they need to be in these times, um, to put it nicely. To then go and talk about or, or highlight a player based on their capability of speaking English. It's just optically bad and morally bad. So... I don't know. Thank God this guy lost his job. Well, he didn't lose his job. He resigned. But it's just illustrating so much of what's wrong with in baseball. It's the old school. Guys like Kevin Mather. Guys like that that are not only in the baseball executive offices, but also in journalism. That are holding the sport from back from becoming something that is actually enjoyable and relevant to a new generation. Now, football and basketball have actually done great job, a great job in making the game accessible. But these guys are holding it back. And a few things I want to, I want to really point to of what he said. The fact that executives keep like ex young, exciting players down in the minor leagues for too long just for personal gain or business gain is, is foolish. Um, I, why? Abs why would you not want to have the talented players up in the big leagues? That increases market revenue. People will be actually be excited to go to the games and watch their team. It's like 
it's like, look, I'm a Giants fan right now, and we haven't really had anyone. I'm, I've always been a Giants fan. I mean, I'm a Giants fan, and right now and for the last decade, we haven't had anyone that exciting in our farm system. I think Buster Posey was really the last exciting prospect that we had. You know, Giants fans will say, oh, Joey Bart. Yes, I agree. Joey Bart's exciting. And then we had Tyler Beattie for a while, but he's come up and not been that exciting. But basically, it adds that level of excitement when you have an unknown young guy that adds some flair to the game. Now, keeping them down is doing a disservice to the fans, is doing a disservice to those players, and is doing a disservice to this game. And... Oh, also, very briefly, I forgot. This is another thing Kevin Mather said. He said that uh, he makes his employees park on the other side of town because he uh, he's able to charge for a lot of money for parking near the stadium. So he doesn't allow employees to park there. Ultimate scumbag move in this. <laughs> I mean, in this in these times where so many people are struggling, you're going to talk about the mo the proudest you are of his organization. I believe that was the question. Proudest you are of what you're doing right now is charging a lot for parking and making your employees walk across town. Okay, dude. Okay. But yeah, he's no longer with the organization, but there are a lot of guys like him out there. There really are. And it's got to change. It's really got to change. Baseball's got to adapt. They've got to get the young guys more involved. It's got to be, it's got to be a sport with flair. Baseball's boring to watch objectively unless you are playing or unless you are really excited about a team it's objectively not the most fun sport to watch but you add young guys with flair you add guys like fernando tatis francisco lindor um i wouldn't say mike trout because he's just i mean he's the best player in baseball he doesn't have a lot of flair except for he's really good but you add guys like that and they ultimately, I mean, they immediately drive up the stock of the team in how they're portrayed in national media. I mean, look at the Padres last year. And they do really good things for your team and good things for your organization if they work out. Now, if you're actually keeping someone down because you don't think they're ready, that's one thing. But it's when you're keeping someone down to not start the clock on arbitration. That's, it's ridiculous. And those rules in baseball need to be changed. A lot needs to be changed in baseball. And it's such a shame. I, I may have talked about this before, but Rob Manfred, when he when he became the commissioner a few years ago, he had a great opportunity. He had a great opportunity to do what Adam Silver was doing in the NBA. And that is make the game accessible, make it fun, and make it easier to watch. And I feel like he has really missed these opportunities. You know, of all the rules that you're going to change, you're going to institute a pitch clock and a three batter minimum for pitchers. What? The pitch clock? Sure, I get. You speed up the pace of play. The three batter minimum for pitchers? Uh-uh. Really? That takes out a lot of strategy that was really exciting in the playoffs. Bringing a lefty specialist for guys like Ryan Howard. I'm, I'm using Ryan Howard because it reminds me of when I was a, uh, of 2010 when the Giants were playing the Phillies. Javier Lopez would come in just to face Ryan Howard or Chase Utley. Or, okay, anyway, I, I'm moving on from the three better minimum. But what about instituting a universal DH so you didn't have to go see a pitcher swing a wet noodle? Sands, Madison, Bumgarner, that's normally what you saw pitchers do. They couldn't hit. They still can't hit. Why are they still hitting? Let's see a universal DH across both leagues. Or 
I don't know, lower or make a salary cap so you don't have teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers with a, such a higher payroll than teams like the Rays and the A's. The A's are competitive, but not against those teams. They can never compete with those teams. You know, basketball and football have a salary cap to level the playing field to a certain extent. And it's interesting because you will see new teams become relevant. New teams compete for championships. With baseball, is really the same ones. It's the Yankees. It's the Dodgers. And then sometimes you'll get like a Cardinals or a Rays or a Giants. And the Rays only if they get really hot. And then they're probably going to lose all their players once they become uh, relevant in national media. But it's guys like Kevin Mather in the executive offices and in, in journalism as well. I'm not going to rip too much on the journalists because, well, that's the field I want to go into. But it's a shame. It's a real shame. And an explanation, explanation, ex, Jesus, exclamation point was put on it, especially in the last month with no Hall of Famers getting inducted and with these comments by Kevin Mather. And it's a shame. I love baseball. I grew up loving baseball. I grew up playing baseball and watching several games a night. And I that was my favorite thing in the world. And now it's just not the same. And it has refused to adapt like other sports have. And it's a bummer. And I really hope that changes because I really want to follow baseball. I really want to love baseball again. It's America's national pastime. Doesn't mean it has to stay in the past. All right. So the NBA All-Star rosters are set. We have starters, we have reserves, and we have a replacement. Let's start with starters. Let's go to the Eastern Conference. You got Bradley Beal, Kyrie Irving, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kevin Durant, and Joel Embiid, none of which are making their first appearance, which is kind of what you'd expect. Go to the Western Conference. You got Steph, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, and Nikola Jokic. Again, none of them making their first appearance. Luca's making his second. Um, God, I, just real quick about Luca. Last night, well, I'm recording this Wednesday, so last night, Tuesday, those three, I don't know if you guys watched the game, but that go-ahead three um, after the, you thought that they were going to go for a two-for-one, and then he was just ISOing it, and I'm watching the game. I'm like, uh-oh, he better hit this. Steps back, hits a contested three. I was, I was texting my buddies at that point. I'm like, Luca is a bad man. I see Jalen Brown go hit a, a game-tying layup, and then I'm like, uh-oh, Luca isos again, go to his spot, hits the game winner with .1 left. That man, Luca has the clutch gene. Oh, my God. I'm excited to see him play for the rest of his career. Um, okay, so let's go to the reserves. And the reserves are really where I have my big issue. Now, it's only one. Like, people are going to say Sabonis should have made it. I agree. Sabonis has been having a great year. But I'll get to my big issue here in a bit. Uh, for the Eastern Conference Reserves, you got Jalen Brown making his first All-Star Game appearance. Uh, James Harden, Zach Levine, also his first. Uh, ben Simmons, Julius Randle making his first. Jason Tatum and Nikola Vucevic. Um, now, real quick. Uh, real quick, James Harden. Look, I know James Harden has been balling since he got to the Nets. Yes, he should have made it. I was about to say, did he really play enough to... Yes, he did. James Harden's been balling with the Nets, so I'll let that one slide. Here's my issue. In the Western Conference, reserves are Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, 
Chris Paul, Anthony Davis, Paul George, Zion Williamson, and Rudy Gobert. Zion making his first All-Star Game appearance. Now, my issue is already been resolved because Anthony Davis is injured, so he's not going to play, and he was replaced by Devin Booker. The fact that Devin Booker didn't already make the roster initially is so disrespectful. The Suns are a good team, and Devin Booker is leading that good team. Now, I know Chris Paul made it, and Chris Paul's a veteran presence, and Chris Paul has also been balling, but come on. I think if we were to only pick one player from the Suns, it should have been Devin Booker. Now, they both should be on the team, but Devin Booker should have been that one guy, and he is. He's back. He's on the roster now. But the fact that it took an injury to actually get him on the roster is ridiculous. I mean, LeBron even said the other day that, I mean – that he's the most disrespected player in the league, him and Damian Lillard. And I agree. I, I don't know how Devin Booker didn't make the team. And I don't know what you want to point to, whether it's that he's not in the biggest market of a team, whether he's not massive on social media, whether he doesn't have these highlight dunks. I don't know what you want to say. I really don't. Devin Booker deserved to be on the All-Star team. Thankfully, now he is. Here's the other one I want to talk about. Can you guys believe – that Mike Conley, who has been in the league a long time, Mike Conley has never made an all-star team. Yeah, he has never made an all-star team. Now, he is still has a chance. He still has a chance this year. Uh, he didn't make the reserves, but there's still a chance for him to get in. Whether he does or whether he doesn't is yet to be seen. But he has never made an all-star team. And the Jazz are balling this year. The Jazz are really, really good. And Mike Conley has been a big part of that. So I don't know. Um, I don't know what that is either. Um, Anthony Davis making this when he's been injured a lot of the year. Interesting. Very interesting decision there. The rest of the rest of them, I really have no problem with. It'll be a good all-star. It, it's a great roster. I mean, NBA is so fun to watch this year, and I love seeing a bunch of new guys make the uh, make the All-Star game. Zion with his first, as I mentioned. Julius Randle with his first, who's finally actually living up to some of his potential. Uh, great to see him balling for the Knicks this year. I know I talked about him a little bit on Sunday. Um, Zach Levine showing that the Bulls didn't lose the Jimmy Butler trade and actually probably won it because the Timberwolves barely had Jimmy Butler. And Levine has just really, really come into his own. Um, and then Jalen Brown, who was also just, just fucking balling this year. And I said I wasn't going to be swearing much in this show, and I let that one slip. So my apologies. Um, but enough of me rambling. Let's get into my interview with Darian Gray from Point Blank Period. All right, now we welcome on Darian Gray from his podcast, Point Blank Period. Be sure to check him out. I'll leave his links in the episode description. Darian uh, covers the NFC South, which is very close to my heart as I'm a big Saints fan. I believe he is as well. So we're going to talk some Saints football today. And, you know, I haven't been able to do this since we got eliminated. I actually muted the word Saints on Twitter for about 30 days after we lost to the Bucks. But I'm ready to get hurt again. I'm ready to dive back into it. So, Darian, welcome on. What's going on, man? I appreciate you for joining. I mean, I appreciate you for letting me join you, you know. Uh, I'm excited, man. I haven't been able to talk Saints football in, in quite a while. So I'm excited to get back to it. I guess the first question is, 
really what's on everyone's minds when they think about the Saints is Drew Brees retiring. When I look at Drew Brees retiring, I say it needs to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm of that uh, thought process. For me, I understand Drew Brees is the greatest Saint to ever play, one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play. And it's important to recognize somebody's legacy. I'll tell you the truth. One of the most irritating and frustrating things for me when it comes to other people talking about the Saints is Drew Brees. One is Michael Thomas, but we're talking about Drew Brees. Um, Drew Brees, when they talk about his legacy and what he, where he should rank amongst quarterbacks, they only focus on the last three years, last four years. And I think that's completely irresponsible. I'm so and I don't think it's fair. It's all good. I don't think it's fair because he had multiple years. He had multiple 5,000-yard seasons before that. So, yes, over the last four years, do I think he's been able to play at his highest level at the highest moments? No, I don't. And, honestly, I think that age, father time, is undefeated. I know some people have a better fight against him than others, but he is undefeated. He will get you eventually. And right now it seems like Drew Brees is – at the end stage of the career, and I hope that this is it. I, I don't think that the Saints are going to win a Super Bowl next year with Drew Brees because there's just certain limitations. But he's not a terrible quarterback by far, but I just there's certain limitations that hold that offense back a little bit. All right, so provided Drew Brees does retire, I mean, that's kind of the consensus now. Uh, are we, you know, there are talks about him coming back to end on a better note, but everyone's assuming that he's going to retire. So if that is the case, are we going to roll with Jameis? Is, uh, is Taysom even an option at this point? I feel like he's kind of been left out of the conversation. Are we going to draft someone in, our, in the first round? Um, yeah, to the point of Breeze ending on a better note, that was terrible. It's one thing to lose your game, but the last pass he threw in the Superdome was an interception. That was kind of hard to see. Uh, it's going to sting forever. Honestly, it's one of those things that won't leave your mind. But – I do think it's the right call, nevertheless. Now let's move into the potential heir parents. I think Jameis is the guy. I think the Saints want Jameis to be the guy. I think that's the guy they want. However, with Taysom Hill, I think they will play the season with Taysom, if need be. If need, I don't think that's their first choice. But at the 28th pick, I don't think you're going to get a, a first-round quarterback. I, I, just, I just don't think that's going to be the guy. I think Mac Jones with his performance in the senior bowl, moved himself up. Then you look at the top four. And even some people with Mac Jones are putting him number four now ahead of Trey Lance. You're obviously not going to get Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson. And I don't think you're going to get Mac Jones either. And you probably won't get Trey Lance. I can see all of them being off the board by the time Washington picks, honestly. Like, I don't even know if New England gets one without having to trade up. And they're over 10 picks ahead of New Orleans. So at 28 and the price it's going to take to trade up to get to those guys, I just don't think you're going to have a first-round first quarterback there for you. Um, maybe you'll get lucky and have a Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott type of deal where you draft a quarterback because you will probably draft a quarterback maybe in a, in a different round if Taysom's the quarterback. But I think they're okay going with him because I think, I think Sean does believe with him, believe in him to a certain extent. But at the same time, I just don't think he's the answer. I think they're still a playoff team with Taysom because of the surroundings and the great supporting cast that New Orleans does have. But I don't think he moves up, moves you up any. But Jameis, I think that Jameis, he's with Sean Payton. He had 30 interceptions last time we've seen him. But before that, he was still a turnover machine, but he wasn't to that level. I think he has immense talent. And it's just about, hey, can Sean Payton coach the talent up and the mistakes down and who knows, maybe the LASIK really was a problem. Maybe he really could not see that well. I, I don't know. I have, honestly, I got context. 
You take my contacts out, I'm severely hindered. So I understand, Jameis. Look, if you come out and you ball out, I'll say it was a LASIK. But yeah, yeah I think that I think that he, he has now. You said what? He can see linebackers now. He can, he can see linebackers. Who knows? <laughs> like, you know, he had 30 interceptions. He had a couple fumbles. You know, there, there's some there's some problems with him, but Taysom has the same issues. And I think as as a collective, we have decided that Taysom is not the guy as a fan support, I mean, fan level. But I don't think that the coaches feel like they can't win with Taysom. But I do think they prefer Jameis, as I would as well. I agree. Um, I mean, yeah, he threw for 30 interceptions, but he also threw for over 5,000 yards, which has only been done very few other times, mostly by a guy we are very familiar with. We were just talking about him, Drew Brees. Um, and I also agree that Taysom isn't necessarily the long-term answer at quarterback. What would be ideal is if you could keep him in this uh, this Swiss Army knife role. I don't know if that's the case because he has he has mentioned a few times that he values himself as a starter. And then you're also kind of focused with the issue of the cap. Um, and, you know, the Saints are $90 million above the cap, and we got to do some work on that. And part of that is we're, play, we're paying a backup or third-string quarterback, Taysom Hill, however much we're paying him. So I've seen a few, you know, people do these these mock cap exercises. And part of that is actually cutting Taysom Hill if he values himself as a starter, maybe somewhere else. Uh, do you think that's a possibility? If that is, would you be disappointed? Or would you rather try to roll with Jameis for a year and Taysom as a backup or vice versa? Just to um, prevent that from happening. Luckily, I've also seen some of these cap exercises. And I think most of them that I've seen, we just seen different ones. Most of my scene have actually been able to keep Taysom. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a benefit to the team. I don't think it's starting quarterback, but I do think he is a useful part of the team, especially with Jerry Cook most likely being out the door. He does play that tight end. Well, we're hoping. <laughs> yeah, we're hoping. <laughs> we're hoping he's out the door. I think he should be. I don't want to say I'm hoping it, but I do think that is the correct move for this age and his uh, – I wasn't ah, hoping it until he fumbled away our NFC championship dreams. Listen, listen, I've told my father on multiple occasions that I have never felt comfortable with the ball in Jerry Cook's hands. Just the way he runs with the ball, screams he's going to fumble. And literally the last two times he, we played Tampa Bay, they made him fumble. If you look at that dominating performance against Tampa Bay, he was he's like the, the one outlier. <laughs> the one per- But I don't want to bash Jerry Cook. Let's not bash Jerry Cook. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. I want to do Jared it. Cook was Jared Cook. I'm trying, I'm trying to focus on good people, okay? <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We can do that. Aston Hill plays somewhat of a tight end position. He plays it better than he really should for wearing the number seven. But, hey, as long, that's, that is what it is. There shouldn't be a quarterback who plays tight end the way he does, but he's a good blocker. He's a good pass catcher. He has nice hands. Adam Troutman, he was kind of a developmental guy. We think that he can take another step up. But the money situation, you're going to start moving around. Taysom Hill being used at tight end is going to be useful. So I don't think cutting him is the answer. If he wants to be a starting quarterback, um, I'm, I'm going to try to get some sort of compensation if I can for him. But I, I, don't, I don't like the idea of outright cutting him and just throwing him into the market. I agree. I'd like to keep Taysom around for as long as we can. I'd rather him not be the starter. I'd rather roll with Jameis. I think Jameis has a lot more upside. Um, he's got great arm talent. I mean, he was a first overall pick for a reason. So let's roll with him. And yeah. You mentioned Adam Troutman. I have been high on Troutman since we drafted him. His uh, college tape from Dayton was just, it was, it was stupid. And I, I mean, I get it. It's a small school. He was the best player on the field, so it's really hard to judge that. But in the glimpses we saw of him, he's already a great blocker. Um, 
he was great in when he was involved in the passing game. I'd like to see more of that next year. And I think, I mean, it's either him or Josh Hill. It's pretty much a, Jared Cook's not coming back. Um, but I'd love to see Troutman take another step up. He's cheaper. And yeah, the cap is, is definitely the big thing we're focusing on. Uh, one way to do it is obviously give Ramchick his extension. Um, and then you can kind of defer money until later. So it, it helps our cap this year. Uh, same with Lattimore. If he does, if he decides we, we want to stay or we want to keep him around if he is our long-term solution. Um, but I mean, other than that, where, where do you see us moving cap space? And if we are able to free up enough cap space, are we making any additions this off season? Man, the cap, the cap's hard. There's people who specialize in the money situation and, and dividing things up and saying, that's not me. That's it. It's, the Saints are so far over that I know they're going to get under, but how they do it, I leave that up to some other people to figure that out. Um, I think that Ramchek, Lattimore, their extensions would definitely help. So I know the things that would be great for the Saints to do, but to a certain extent, man, I just I I, I can't talk about the things I'm not a special specialist in and how to save the money. I can't do it. I just hope that you free up enough money to where you can sign uh, Marcus Williams, because I think that's priority number two behind making sure you get your quarterback. But after that, I don't, I don't know if the Saints are going to be able to really make too many additions. I don't know if you're going to be able to sign an Emmanuel Sanders or Malcolm Jenkins again. It, it might just be a lot of trying to retain your in-house people and, and then build through the draft and maybe add a couple of small guys. But yeah, I, my my guess they they figure it out though I never know how they're gonna do it but they do it. Yeah, to be fair, Mickey Loomis is a wizard with this. I feel like he could sign a whole fifty three man roster for eight million dollars. Um, and also to be fair, the reason why I'm sounding somewhat educated on our cap is because I read one Nick Underhill uh, article. That was a great article. <laughs> That's the one I read. That was a great article. I love Nick Underhill. He's uh, a <laughs> he covers the Saints better than anyone else I've seen. He's the man. We all know. Everybody knows. People who everybody, work in this everybody who follows the Saints knows. He's the man. Um, okay, well, I mean, you bring up you bring up who our priorities are. Marcus Williams. Uh, do you include Trey Hendrickson in that, or do you think we're gonna let him walk? Uh, I let him walk. Just, just, just from the, now. If you had a, a lot of money, it's a different conversation. But the fact that you're not, I don't, I don't see you signing Trey Hendrickson and Marcus Williams. And it's for me, it's not close. It's it's Marcus Williams really? over over Trey Hendrickson. It's 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 not. I don't want to say it's not a conversation, but it's pretty definitive for me that I'm picking Marcus Williams over Trey Hendrickson. See, I would say that, and the logical side, the football knowledge side of me agrees. It's like yes, he's great in coverage. He's a great sec. He's a great safety. But then there's that side of okay, Minneapolis miracle, George King face mask. Uh, <laughs> cannot tackle, but he, he, he's a better tackler now. I will say that. Okay, he's, he's okay. a better tackler. Sure, he's a better tackler. I will say that. I will say that. I I've been the biggest critic of Marcus Williams. Um, when he started tackling, I jumped on the bandwagon. There was, <laughs> there was a point when he rocked this guy this year. I don't. I wish I remember. I should because it doesn't happen a lot. But man, he rocked the guy. And I said, I don't know who that guy is. But that's a different man wearing 43 right now. Dropped his tackle, uh, missed tackle percentage from 14, uh, I think 14.8 through his career down to 4.3 this year. And he's actually a strong tackle. 
I, I will say that that was his biggest weakness, and I think he fixed it. I'm all pay. I'm all for paying Marcus Williams as long as you can afford it. I'm I'm team I, Marcus. Man. I I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think I think priority one is quarterback. Priority two, giving Ramchick his money, and then trying to re-sign Marcus Williams. I agree. Hendrickson, if we could keep him around, that would be great. But Hendrickson strikes me as a as a player, and I I really hope I'm wrong because I like the guy. He strikes me as a player that if he does move teams, like he'll go get a big contract off based off this season. Great for him. But that he's, I feel like he's going to struggle with another organization. He just reminds me of those players that have like that one big high sack count year, get a contract with another team and then kind of fall off. I see that. I can see that. I've even seen people say he could struggle being the one if somebody tries to sign him in to be their number one. Yeah, struggle there. Yeah, I, I, I could definitely see what you guys say. 100%. I mean, I, I think he, I think he really benefited from. I mean, first of all, a great defensive line coach and defensive line scheme. Plus, I mean, we got we had dogs on that defensive line, all four positions and even depth as well. So I think he really benefited from that. But I guess staying in the secondary, we're talking about Marcus Williams, uh, one of my favorite players on the Saints, uh, C.J. Gardner Johnson, C.D. Deuce, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, whatever you want to call him. Uh, a conversation that I've been having with my buddies is if we lose one player in the secondary, whether it be Marcus Williams, Malcolm Jenkins, is he going to stay at a nickel corner or are we going to try to move him into, into a safety position or even a number two corner? What do we do with him? Because he's such a, he is such a weapon on the field, whether it be mentally or just physically, he's always in the play. I love, I love watching him. Yeah. It's funny. I've had the same conversation all the time too. I don't know. I don't know what the Saints' plan is for him. For me, he's so good at slot corner, and he's, his best asset is to be a run stuffer. Well, yeah, that too. But he, his best asset is to run, is to stop the run. For that reason, I kind of find it hard to push him to free safety, and that's not to say he'd be a bad free safety. I just think you're taking the best part of his game away by putting him so deep. So for me, it's really between nickel corner and strong safety. And we'll see when Malcolm Jenkins leaves, if that's where they want him to go. I think if you see the, the Saints draft a corner, who a lot of people project to be a slot corner, then that's kind of telling you he's going to go to strong safety. But I'm not moving him to number two corner. I don't trust his coverage that much. To, to actually make him a boundary corner, I don't. And I love Chauncey. I love Chauncey Garner-Johnson. Strong safety, nickel corner. But right now, I'm going to stay sticking as a nickel corner because you do still have Malcolm Jenkins, at least for another year, more likely than not. So for 2020, I'm going to say nickel. At 2021 and beyond, it'll be kind of up in the air because I do think he's able to play safety. And I think he did play safety two years ago against Tennessee for one game, and he played uh, pretty well. Yeah, I just want to see him on the field more, uh, in which case, I mean, it really depends how he develops and where the Saints want to use him. Um, I do think the Saints are going to remain competitive next year. That's that's one thing that I keep hearing in the media. It's like, oh, the Saints are going to win five to six games. They're completely falling off their team. Like their windows over. I don't think it's. I think it's a lot going to be a lot harder. I don't think we're the same Super Bowl caliber team as we have been the couple in the past couple off seasons. Frankly, we shouldn't have been because you know how the Saints are in the playoffs. Um, as painful as that is to admit, we've had to endure that the last four years. Yeah. Yes, I. <laughs> I mean, where do you think our ceiling is provided? I mean, we've, we've established a couple of things. We've established that we would, if it was our choice, we'd have Jameis at quarterback. We'd get Marcus Williams back. Trey Hendrickson would walk. 
Um, okay, so we've established that. If that's the case, what's the ceiling? Divisional round. Maybe even being able to – the thing about Jameis is he's such a wild card. Exactly. So, I don't know. Because I do think Jameis can lead this team to a Super Bowl. So, it's hard. But I'm going to say divisional round, maybe conference championship. But it, it genuinely, if Jameis is the quarterback, it would not shock me to see, and this might be a wild take, but this would not shock me to see the Saints team in a Super Bowl. It just, it genuinely would not next year. And I'm going to tell you why, because as much as Drew Brees is Drew Brees, that supporting cast, this is the same team that a lot of people said was the best roster in football coming into last season. Now, and they said that before Trey Hendrickson blew up. They said that when Sheldon Rankins was hurt. They said that before Janora Jenkins came in and proved he could do it more than just three games. Janora Jenkins just had a good game against Stephon Diggs, and they made all these statements. I think uh, Janora Jenkins has proved himself to be an even better addition than I thought he was coming into the year. Now, Trey Henderson did what he did, but they weren't, that wasn't taken into account then. This was still said with – now, this was said with Drew Brees, but this was said before Emmanuel Sanders. We knew what he would be. I think there's some pieces around this team that I think people fail to acknowledge – and I think it's truly unfair because we'll talk about, not we, but the national media will talk about how Drew Brees might have held the team back some. But then with the subtraction of Drew Brees, now we're just a C-level team in the NFL. It's not fair. So I'm going to go with a, now Taysom's the quarterback. Might be a different story. But I'm going to say a floor of 7-9 and nine because that could happen. I just don't know what the quarterback situation is going to be. But I think they have a ceiling of uh, – Maybe not Super Bowl contender, but a, a still a quality team in the in the NFC and NFL. I think that they have that level of talent. We're just too focused on the quarterback situation. Now, this is assuming James is there. Yeah, I, I actually 100% agree. I, I've been saying that I think the ceiling for this team is is fairly similar from where it was, provided you can keep a lot of these key places, uh, key pieces in place. Um, if James is the quarterback, if Taysom, I think ceiling is probably making the playoffs. Um, yeah. But the floor, since it's such an unknown, is way lower uh, than what it was with Drew. I think another thing people are under underestimating about the value of having Drew Brees, yeah, he kind of lost a deep ball the last couple of years, but his leadership and just his knowledge of the game is not going to be matched. I mean, yes, you've got Sean Payton there still, but that's a huge loss. And that, I think, is is people are glossing over that a bit. Um, switching gears a little bit, I'm really sick of hearing this, and I'm, I'm sick of hearing a lot of, a lot of people talk about this guy because they never give him a fair shake, and I think you know who I'm talking about already. Every time he tweets, you get the response, slant boy. Um, and now everyone's talking about how the Saints need to trade Michael Thomas. Do you think there's a chance that happens? I personally don't, but I've seen crazier things. Yeah, I, I won't say there's no chance because, like you said, we've seen crazier things. But I just don't think it's likely. <clears throat> I think that Michael Thomas is a guy who they never wanted to be at the level he was. I think that um, it's something that people are just quite frankly unfair when judging. They keep calling him slant boy. That First and foremost, it's not bad to be the best player at a route. Like, like, let's just be very clear. If it wasn't him, there was going to be somebody else who was the best player in the league at running slants. I remember once upon a time people said that about Odell because he had the ability to, to catch it and run. Now, Odell did more. But the thing that I think people are, are not really taking into account is the system that he's in. 
and I, I compare him to DeAndre Hopkins. They're both extremely dominant in the same area of the field. I think Michael Thomas is more dominant in that area of the field, but they're one and two. I think they're uh, interchangeable. But DeAndre Hopkins played in a, in a system in Houston, <clears throat> which was top five, I think top three, in, the most, in uh, the most vertical passing offense. Then he went to Arizona and played with Kyler Murray, and they aired it out. Drew Brees wasn't doing that. And the system isn't even meant for that. With Taysom Hill in, his yards per, uh, his depth of target was 10.3. DeAndre Hopkins over the year was 9.9. So when you start bringing these numbers in, I just, I, I don't think people want to hear it. I don't think his style, they want to say he's force fed. Um, that's also not the worst thing. By the way, he has the, he had the best catch percentage. I don't know why that gets skipped over. People love saying they could do the same thing with the same amount of targets, but you're not catching the same percentage of your targets. But people want to talk about force feeding. Why don't we talk about Green Bay, who when they get on the one yard line, they throw to DeAndre, I mean, uh, Devontae Adams three times. That's a four-speed type of situation, but because people like the way that Devontae Adams plays football, they don't talk about that. And I don't think it's a problem, so I don't mean that as a shot to Devontae Adams, but people don't like uh, Michael Thomas. Yeah. They call him a crybaby. I don't know why they call him a crybaby, because as much as he's been on the radar, he hasn't that, had that much to cry about. So uh, y'all want to talk about him being a crybaby. He's cried, a, okay, he's complained a couple of times, but since you've known him, he's been an ultra-successful player. He's had two all pros and he's had, and he had one injury, injury riddle season. So if he's that much of a crybaby, tell me how much you're seeing him cry. Cause last time I checked over the last couple of years until this season, Michael Thomas didn't really have much to cry about. So I tell me. Generally when people are referring to him as a crybaby, they're talking about how he reacted to the PI no call. And I just want to say that any NFL player in that situation, when you have something ripped away from you, like a Super Bowl, you're going to react in a certain type of way. I'd like to see them do it. My favorite part is when, who's that guy from Miami? Devontae Parker said that uh, he was a better receiver than Michael Thomas. Like, okay. Also, if running a slant is so easy, right? That's what people are trying to make it come, make it seem like. It's an easy route to run, so he's not a real receiver. Then why aren't other people doing it? And that's a lot. We can talk about what you're saying, but that's also, it's also a lot. It's, that's not the only thing he does. I think that's the point yeah. that people need to stop saying. He's great at it, but he does other things. Yeah, it, I, there's this graphic that shows if you take out his slant routes, these are his numbers, and they're still in the upper echelon of receivers. It's so lazy because people will call a deep cross a slant. They'll call a, a drag route a slant. Hey, guys, there's a slant, and there's other routes that go across the middle. Stop that. But – yeah, if it's so easy, why isn't everybody just abusing the slant? Yeah, because I think that's going to set it up. It's a point. It's, 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 it's lazy, man. It's just lazy, a lot of criticism of him. I think you kind of hit it on the nose when you said uh, they don't like the way he plays. And I think he's not a very flashy player, and he doesn't need to be. He's a possession receiver, and he's always open. And I think a certain number of people get frustrated. Like, how is he open? How is he open? He's not the fastest guy. He is – uh, not the biggest guy. He's not over the top. He's not mossing people, but he's always open. And people, since they don't watch the whole route, they don't see the work that gets put into getting that open. And it is lazy. You're right. It's a lazy football take. But he's a good route runner. He's a really good route runner. He's an incredible route runner. You don't point it out. He's a really good route runner. Like he, yeah. he, and his, his ability to get separation, it's, it's so many things that I, I feel like I've looked up over time about Michael Thomas. And it's just – it. it I almost feel like because people hated him so much or still hate him so much, 
he's become one of my favorite players. I just feel like I've, I've, I've taken up for him so much that it's like, I love this guy now. <laughs> like, like, this is one of my favorite players on the team because of that reason. Well, it, it helps that Mike, Mike and I share the same last name, so we're technically brothers. I, I think uh, so. I see the resemblance a little bit. Yeah. I see, yeah. I see it a little bit. Yeah. Same hair. Yeah. Uh, all right, switching gears to our other star player on offense, Alvin Kamara, breakout season right after he got paid. You know, a big thing in the NFL about when teams pay running backs is how long are they going to be able to stay competitive when you pay a running back 15 mil a season? Um, do you think that's going to come back to bite us? And if so, are we – I mean, Mickey Loomis is such a – so great figuring out salary cap and figuring out that – I mean, do you think that's going to come back to bite us? And if so, are we going to end up having to move on from him? Or is it not even worth thinking about it? We should just enjoy watching that guy play. Um, I don't think it's going to come back to bite us. I think that he's going to have more longevity than other people. Who knows if he plays out his whole, I think, six years because it was a five-year extension. So who knows if he plays that all the way out? That wouldn't be crazy, but that also doesn't label the, the signing as a failure. I think he'll play enough time for sure for the, for the contract to be worth it. Last year, he made that contract worth it with the, with the, with the play that he had. One um, game, he made that contract worth it. Yeah, it was Six crazy. It, it, was, it was ridiculous, man. And I want to say shout out to the Saints players for coming out after getting paid and playing because Alvin Kamara did it. Michael Thomas did it. Mm-hmm. DeMario Davis had his all pro season the year he did, but he, uh, the year before he got paid, but he, he didn't come out and have a bad season. We hear so much about players packing it in after getting their contract, and the Saints have so far have been exempt to that, and that's great. But, yeah, I think that the, the wear and tear that Alvin Kamara will avoid from being a part of a duo for pretty much his whole career in New Orleans, I feel like will continue to be the case. I think that will allow him to have longevity more than Ezekiel Elliott more than a Ty Gurley. As long as he avoids some kind of major catastrophic injury, knock on wood, you know, I think he's going to be able to be a, a durable player. I, I, I genuinely do, and I think he's the, I think he's the best uh, running back in football. I know that uh, Derrick Henry just went for 2,000 yards, but I just feel like for your bang, for your buck, the catching, the passing, the usage, I got Alvin Kamara. It's a conversation, but I got Alvin Kamara. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he's probably the best dual threat. Um, I do think uh, pure runner still has to be Derrick Henry. You, I mean, yeah. yeah, he's such a workhorse. Just went for over two thousand yards, and watching him run is just stupid. You're six foot four. You're that big. It's ridiculous. But I, I like what you said about uh, the Saints balling out after they get paid. I think that's not only a credit to the guys that the Saints choose to play, but also the coaching staff. I think that they know how to uh, to get players to buy in, in a sense. Uh, Sean Payton's always been good at that. And, you know, you hear all these stories about how he helps these guys get their, get their bonuses, like with Emmanuel Sanders in that last game. I mean, it was pretty yeah. cool. Emmanuel, I mean, you know, he was in and out last year, didn't have his best year kind of figuring out the off- offense, but still got his bonus. And I think that's a credit to the organization. That's why a lot of guys want to come play. Um, one thing real quick I wanted to mention about Michael Thomas is I think this year, provided Jameis is the quarterback, is going to shut a lot of people up about Michael Thomas because he's going to have such a different role in the offense. He's not going to be that slant route, like go get a five-yard first down real quick. He's going to have a lot more of an over-top presence. And, I mean, I'm excited to watch that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, all right. I mean, I guess I have one more question for you, and I'm sorry it's, uh, it's a painful one. 
Rank the last four years in terms of disappointment. Oh, that's cool. I've done this. I can, I can do this easily. What do you want to go, four to one or one to four? Uh, start with four, go to one. Okay. Number four, uh, the push-off. That was just – it's like, okay, you lost. Um, it was still a push-off, but I agree. We lost that game. We came out flat. We didn't yeah. have to win. It's all right. You were lucky to get to overtime. So, uh, number three. Now, this is where it does get difficult. This, uh, number four is number four. One through three is a very tight margin. Now, like now, I'm going to say number three is the Bucks game. Just because, like, all right, you got whooped. It's like, there's no, there's nothing to point to. We sure. can push the point off. I'm going to push off. You can point to the Minnesota Miracle. You can point to you the no point call. to Jared Cook. You can point to Jared Cook, but they ain't put up a point after that. That was, that's tough. You know, now I, it did hurt. It did hurt. Um, number two is Minnesota Miracle. Number one is the no call. And those two are flipped at the moment of them happening. At the moment of them happening, the Minnesota Miracle hurt more than any. That was the worst pain I had. You know, like, that was, that was the worst pain I had of the four. So, but now it's like, okay, things happen. But with the no call, things don't happen. That happened, but that does not happen. <laughs> like, that, should, that, that probably will never happen again, you know. And it's, it's one of those situations, like, you can complain about that forever. And people call Saints fans dramatic, crybabies, but – I guarantee you that if the if the Cincinnati Bengals got good this year, and I'm only saying that because I would love for the Cincinnati Bengals to get good this year. They have Joe Burrow, so I'm going to put them in there. And then that happened. I don't care if they had a drought. They're going to talk about that for a long time. People, people in Oakland or now Vegas, I don't know if they transferred with them. They still talk about the tuck rule, and we're accepting of that. As a Bay Area native, they do. Um, it 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 will, it will never die. So number one has to be the no call because I don't I don't think I can ever accept that that happened. Even though we had more chances afterwards, yep. which is why it didn't hurt as bad at the time. But now it's like I can't get over this. I I can't get over the fact that they didn't call that 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 passing appearance. Yeah, neither can I. So I, I'll agree with you. I have my list of the exact same, but. <laughs> My one, in, my, my one is the no call. My two is the Minneapolis miracle. And number one was solidified by number three, losing to the Bucks, because it kind of just put an exclamation point on the fact that 2018 was the year. Yeah. Was the year. Honestly. And it was taken away from us. And yes, everybody says we had an opportunity. We got the ball first in overtime, blah, 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 blah. Any single team, any single franchise, if that happened to them, they would not stop talking about it. Never, never. You, can't do it. you can't do it. I mean, that, that one hurt, and you'll probably never – we'll never get over that. I mean, the Minneapolis miracle hurt, and I still can't look at Marcus Williams the same way. I know you like him now. I, you, I had to let it go. He had a good rookie year. He had a good he rookie did. year. He's Messed great up. in coverage, but I still can't let that go, and I never will be able to let that go. Yeah, it, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the truth. I'll, I'll let it go. But then when he did what he did against George Kittle, it was a new anger for oh that one. God. But like, I'm telling you, man, go. I, I don't know what game it was, but I'll he find it. I'll find he it. rocked somebody this year. 
I was about, I think he forced a fumble. He broke up a pass, and I was like, "Who is this guy? Who is this man?" Oh, that was in the playoffs, am I right? I I know, right? I know. Well, no, I think Marcus Williams was stuck. I think Marcus Williams stuck. But I understand. I understand. But let that let that go, man. Let it go. I'm I'm a I'm a vengeful man. I can't. It's tough. <laughs> All right, man. Well, it has been a pleasure talking to you. It's always good to talk about the Saints. Uh, well, I, I, it's fun to talk about the Saints, but also painful to talk about the Saints. But I did promise you I'd let you know how I became a Saints fan. Uh, yes. I was born and raised out here in the Bay Area, California. Uh, and I, my parents were never really into sports. So I got, had to get into it by myself. And I automatically became a Warriors and Giants fan, local. But... For football, I didn't really start watching till later, and I would watch with my best friend and his stepdad. Now, he was a Raiders fan, and his stepdad is from New Orleans. So we would always do Raiders Saints, Raiders Saints, Raiders Saints. Okay. And uh, when the Raiders decided to pack it up and move to Vegas, it left, I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go all in on my Saints. So here I am. Why, why no love for the Niners? So the Niners are the same reason why I don't have any love for the, for the A's. I grew up with, you know, in, in Bay Area schools, there's a divide between Giants and A's fans and Raiders Niners fans. Okay. And we all hate the other team's fans. Like, they're just so frustrating and so annoying. So just because of that, I, I hated them. Okay. I mean, it, it, look, it's a, it's a petty reason, but yeah. sports, when you break it down to it, it's pretty petty. No, it is. 100%. I can't but, stand it. And I know we got linked up by an Eagles fan. I can't stand the Eagles. Can't. Dude, I don't hate the Eagles. I hate them more now that we lost to them for no reason. It, yeah, that, that game, hurt. I dominated them before that. You know, the worst part about that is that was the first time I ever had gone on a podcast, and it was right after we lost. And I got to talk to Christian. It was like, yeah, we – all right, man. <laughs> nah, man. I, Chris, Chris, cool guy. Cool Very guy. cool guy. Eagles, uh, not cool people. <laughs> not at all they're better bucks. than bucks. they're better than bucks fans i don't know man because i'm gonna say the true buck fans didn't exist yeah so. no this year they've been a pain a, a real pain yeah, they did a real pain so covering the south i i had all their notifications on that that ended about that ended four five days after the super bowl because i realized they were talking about us a little too much so hey, you're better than me, man. Mine ended the second we like the second Jared Cook fumbled that football. That ended. I stopped following all Bucks fans. I was just like, and I put up a I put up a tweet the other day. Dang, I know you're supposed to go, but whatever. Right? Uh, Take your time. I put up a tweet the other day talking about the ugliest skill position numbers, and I had 37, 40, 46, and an honorable mention to. Um, 14. Cause I think those are, I just think those are not good looking numbers. Does someone try to throw in 41? I said 41 was on there until Kamara because he makes it look good. Yeah, he does. And they put up Mike Allstott. So Mike Allstott was running for nearly a thousand yards with no gloves. That man had no swag uh, <laughs> at all. Like with Peyton Hillis. Peyton Hillis had a, had a pit bull face mask. I said, y'all got to stop. And then somebody like y'all just gotta stop. Numbers can be ugly on good players. Yeah. But and then somebody put Christian Chris Godwin. Hey, I never really thought about it. Wow, he should have told Brady to get seven because fourteen is terrible. 
it does not look good. It just is not. It's probably the worst. It's probably the worst um, team number or, yeah, team number in the 10s. 11, 12, 13, 15, 16. Now, 17. 16 is pretty terrible. You think so? I hate 16. It might be a Jared Goff thing, but I'm just not a fan. I I graduated high school in 2016, so I like 16. Hey, me too. 16 is a thing for me. I don't know how you don't like it. Six, I, we used to I hated high school, so 16 it doesn't means absolutely nothing to me. So makes sense. But yeah, 17's not great, but it's not there. Like 14 is 14 might be the worst. 19's not great either. But you know, but 14 is it's top three worst team numbers. The, so, Bucks, the Bucks did like to talk a lot to the Saints after they won. It's like yeah. they what did they want to do? They wanted to put up a billboard in New Orleans saying we dat. Did they end up doing it? I don't think so. Um, this is this is this is a, this is a lesson for life, people. Never let your foot off anybody's neck. Uh, never, N- never give them a chance, because now we've given them the chance to say that, and they beat us on the way to the Super Bowl. Doesn't matter that they didn't beat us there, but they beat us on the way there, and now we have allowed them the chance to say whatever they want to say, literally until the next time we play. Not, not even until the end of the next season. They're going to talk about being the Super Bowl champs until, until there's we, a new Super Bowl champ. Until we beat them in the playoffs, they can talk about it. That's and, the thing. It's the, most, it's the most Saints thing to be the first team ever to sweep the NFC South and then lose to an NFC South team in yeah. the playoffs that same year. About it. Right. They're still talking about it. Like the Super, the Super Bowl was three weeks ago? To Two weeks fair. ago? To be fair, if we beat the Bucks on the way and we were underdogs and then we went on to win the Super Bowl. And, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we're, we're Saints fans, but Houdat Nation on Twitter is toxic. We are. Okay. We are a little bit. Let's, let's, okay. let's, let's call it a spade a spade. We're a little toxic, toxic sometimes. I get that. So I get if that. I was in their shoes and I had done that, I, I would be talking a little bit. Maybe not now. Maybe now, not to an extent where I'm going to put up a Saints billboard in Tampa. Wouldn't have done that. But, but yeah, I'd be, I'd be running my mouth a bit, but that's, that's kind of who I am. I like to talk. Unless but then again, we wouldn't do it today. They're used to being the bottom feeder. Yeah, this is true. We're used to being the top dog. We, we would have we said something, but I, I, I don't – you know, no. No. I'm disagreeing. I'm disagreeing with you. All if right. We went through the same exact role – road that they did i don't think we're talking about them now man not to the way they are not to the way they are not if we beat mahomes and rogers after we beat brady uh, i i haven't heard a word about rogers and we're used to beating them but i don't know you you could be right we are toxic maybe, maybe we are toxic whatever All right, man, i do gotta go now everyone go check out point blank period with darian gray great talking to you man uh hopefully we'll have you on again before the draft Let's get, uh, get some more things going. All right, man. All right, take, take care. care. All right, once again, big thanks to Darian for coming on the show. Great conversation. Always nice talking to a fellow Saints fan, um, even when the Saints provide you with a lot of depression. But really appreciate him coming on. Make sure you go check out his show. I will leave the links in the episode description. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed and I will see 
or speak to all of you next time.